I've been asked to close this by kind of saying, so what now? Relax, it's finished. I mean, there's kind of a syllogism. It's finished for God's people, premise one. Premise two, I'm God's people, one of them. Conclusion. So, so what is the conclusion? Frankly, I was going to say there isn't one. <laughs> I was going to say, what do you do now? Nothing, for God's sake, nothing, okay? <laughs> and then last night, I mean, I was going to give you a gift. I'm tired, you're tired. Say you got a home, go home. <laughs> don't do anything. Don't just don't change the world. Don't do anything. And then Tullian screwed it up last night. <laughs> what is this active, passive, righteousness kind of thing? So he screwed it up for you too. You could be out of here by now if he hadn't preached that sermon. So what follows? A number of years ago, uh, Walter Martin, who was my friend in those years, was on the Long John Nebel show in New York and he, uh, and he was on with a Jewish atheist who had given this proposition that all moral values are determined by the society in which they are found. And Walter said that he knew how to counter that in an intellectual, philosophical way, but they didn't have that kind of time and he had to do something to be polemical and to handle the debate well with this Jewish atheist. And then he had an idea when they came back after the commercial break, he said to this man, let's play pretend. He said, pretend? He said, yeah, let's pretend we're living under the Third Reich. And I'm a part of the SS. And we have just rousted you out of your bed, taken you to headquarters, and I have a Luger in my hand pointed at your head. Now you tell me why I shouldn't pull the trigger. And Walter said that when he said that, the atheist all of a sudden went white because that's a big deal if you're Jewish. And the man said, well, you, you just can't do that. And Walter said, why? You have said that all moral values are determined by the place where they are held. We have determined you're an inferior race and I'm going to exterminate you. And he said, but you can't do that. That is wrong. And Walter said, what do you mean wrong? We voted. It's right. And you can see what Walter was saying and how important it was. It's very, very rare for people to believe what they say they believe. The most important thing about this weekend is that this is all true. It really is. And I believe it with all of my heart and I've been living it 
for as long as I can remember. And last night I said, God, are you sure that you love me? And this morning I woke up guilty and I could hardly get out of the bed. And I've been worried all morning about what in the world I was going to say to you. <laughs> so I keep score. I believe, I believe in grace, but I'm not sure it works. I know that God loves me 51% of the time. So I've been asking myself the same thing, especially after what Tullian said. If it's finished, so what? Well, the first thing you should do is open your Bible. I'm reading from Galatians, the end of the third chapter, and I'll begin at the 23rd verse through the seventh verse of the fourth chapter of Galatians. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith could be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons, parenthetical daughters of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you were sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Daddy, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son and a daughter. And if his child, then an heir through God. So what? Well, in terms of active righteousness, I would suggest that if this is all true and if it's finished, you can relax and then you should go out and irritate somebody. <laughs> You've heard that old story. Some of you won't admit it. 
and you laughed at it, and some of you won't admit that, about the man who went to this lady and said, would you sleep with me for a million dollars? And she said, well, let me think about it. And he said, well, let me ask you this, would you sleep with me for $25? And she said, what do you think I am, a whore? And he said, we've already determined what you are. We're negotiating price at this point. If you've been listening, if you've been reading the scripture, we have determined who we are. I'm nobody and you're nobody and we deserve nothing. If you've been listening to the propositions and the doctrines reveal propositional truth, it says that when you join the church, you announce to the world that you were unqualified, that you were needy, and that you were sinful. And once you get it and you accept it, you're free. You don't have anything to prove. You don't have to be nice anymore. I'm working on a book called Hidden Agendas, How the Masks We Wear Hurt Us and Those We Love. And one of the masks we wear in the church is nice. Bless your heart. <laughs> I think you're ugly, and I wish you weren't a part of this church, but bless your heart anyway. And so we smile at each other. We're nice. I'll tell you, when you know who you are, you're not nice anymore. And you are generous. Just look at the book of Galatians. You can jump off from the verse that I read to you. Now, before faith come, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. And then we were let loose. Paul said at the beginning of Galatians, if anybody tells you different than what I told you, may they get the fever and die. And then later on, he says, worse. The Holy Spirit said, shut up. Don't go any further. It's translated as cut yourself off, but it is more earthy than that. I just want you to know. What, where does that come from? It comes from freedom. I'd grown a mustache for the first time in my life. And it looked awful. I was a young pastor and I looked like a kid trying to, oh, it was terrible. By the way, if you're going to grow a beard, I'm for it. But grow it until you can look in the mirror and know what you look like. And if you look like Judas, cut it off. If you look like Peter, keep it. But I had this mustache and I looked like a villain. I mean, it was awful. I'd grown it for two days and I had the razor in my hand when the phone rang. And this lady in my church said, I saw you at the post office this morning. What's that on your upper lip? I said, it's a mustache. And she said, well, shave it off. It looks terrible. And I said, I think you're too fat, but I don't tell you so. <laughs> and, then, and then the whole congregation ganged up. 
And the, the more they started yelling at me, the more entrenched I became. I'd look, I'd look in the mirror and think, that's awful. But it'll be cold in hell before I shave that thing off. <laughs> They'd come to my wife and say, Anna, can't you do something about that mustache? And, she, and she'd say, if you don't shut up, he's going to have it till Jesus comes back. <laughs> And then I was, had been invited to speak for a group of churches uh, in Michigan. And I thought, I can't go there looking like this. So that Sunday morning in the pulpit, I just said, let me tell you what I'm going to do this afternoon. I'm going to shave this mustache off. And they broke out in applause. And I said, but I want one thing clearly understood. I'm doing it because I don't like it, not because you don't like it. Over the years, I softened and became a lot more gentle and soft and less in your face until Jesus hugged me. And when he did, I got dangerous. Let me tell you something about you. If you got it this weekend, you're not afraid to speak it. You're not afraid to speak any truth because you don't give a rip. Jesus loves you and everything is settled. When you're old, you don't give a rip. Old people are already irritated about being old. <laughs> Takes very little to tick them off. <laughs> but you're young. <laughs> and you're dangerous. You can speak political truth and ethical truth and biblical truth because you don't give a rip. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. So, it's finished. Go out and irritate somebody. <laughs> Let me tell you something else. It's finished. Go out and hug somebody. He says there are no Jews or Greeks, no males or females. He's talking about the body of Christ. But that, you can extrapolate from that, and it goes wider than that. It means the whole world is different to us. It means the wacko liberals and conservatives. It means the gays and the lesbians and the transsexuals. It means the people who are homeless and the people who've got millions. It means, it means everybody. So if it's finished, go out and hug somebody. Eddie Waxer is my beloved friend and he's been that for many years. He, the world's different because Eddie lived, he's Jewish. And, Mr. Graham used to say, everywhere I go, uh, I turn around, wherever it's in the world, and there's little Eddie. He started world sports, and they're changing the world with kids' games right now. 
literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of children around the world, including the Middle East, are coming to Christ. And you don't, most of you even know his name. But I've been walking with A.D. for a very long time, and he knows me. I was in California, and I was speaking uh, for a conference, and I was on this campus, and this lady came running across the campus, and it was obvious she was coming to me. And she ran up to me and jumped into my arms. And I said, lady, I never saw you before. And she said, I know, Eddie Waxer told me to do this. <laughs> said, you hated it. <laughs> And I said, well, yeah, I do. Don't do it again. <laughs> Two years later, I came back to the same place, same conference, and the same lady's coming across the campus. And she grabs me and holds me, and then she pushes me back. And she said, you've been hanging out with Jesus. You didn't wince so much <laughs> this time. That's what it does for you. Go hug somebody. I had the best illustration I was going to share with you, but I didn't like the guy it was about. Uh, do you know the name Bob Harrington? He was the chaplain of Bourbon Street, and he, but, but he lost it. I mean, he started running with Madeline Murray O'Hare, and they debated and made a lot of money, and then he became a motivational speaker, and he left his wife, and he got drunk, and he screwed around. But the illustration was back when he was walking with Christ, and I was going to use it for this morning. He was preaching, and Harrington's a pretty big guy, and this guy started heckling him and finally climbed up on the box and poured beer over his head. And Harrington picked him up and said, I just want to thank you. And the guy said, well, why? He said, because you just demonstrated that I'm a Christian, because if I weren't, I would have stomped you into the concrete. That's a great illustration, except it's about Bob Harrington. <laughs> so I wanted to make sure I got it right. I checked on what had happened to Harrington. I knew, I have no idea what happened to him. Let me tell you what I found, and it's so good. He had gone through all of that. Uh, his life was at an, he was in Las Vegas. He was staying on the seventh floor of a hotel. And uh, it was dark, and he knew he was a long ways from home. And he decided to take his own life. Went over to the window at the seventh floor and opened it, and the phone rang. And Harrington said, he said, he said, nobody calls me anymore. I wonder who that could be. And it picks it up, and you know, it was Rex Humbard. Rex Humbard? Do you know who that is? His wife's name is Maud Amy. That ought to give you some idea. <laughs> and Rex Humbard was in Los Angeles and said, Bob, God put you on my heart. Then he said, I hope you don't mind, but it just wanted to say I loved you. And I wanted to say that God loved you too. 
And I wanted to say, come on home. Come on home. Oh my, I love it. He closed the window and went home. Go hug somebody. Find the most smelly person you can find and hug them. You can do that now if all this is true because you don't have anything to protect and you need a hug as much as they do. If it's finished, go irritate somebody. If it's finished, go hug somebody. And then if it's finished, go have a party. You know what I've loved about this? I've loved you guys because you laugh so easy. I mean, I've heard some of the worst jokes I've heard in my lifetime in this place, and you guys laugh. Why do I like that? I like that because Jesus is in the building. I told the preachers earlier that I have a daughter. Yeah that we have a daughter named Jennifer, and she signs all of her emails and all of her letters with love and laughter. Jesus said they'll know we're Christians by our love, and I don't want to edit Jesus, but he should. And if he had known my daughter, he would say, they'll know we're Christians by our love and our laughter, because we're the only people on the face of the earth who know how to party. And we're the only people on the face of the earth who have anything about which to party. This stuff's true. You're loved. It doesn't matter where you go or what you do or who you hurt or what you're smoking or drinking or where you're sleeping, you're loved. <laughs> Man, I want to speak in tongues. I don't have the language for that. I want to dance, and I can't dance. I want to get down and have a party, and I don't know how to party. But that's the movement of my soul as I've sat here and listened to wonderful teachers remind me, oh, party. Reminds me of another party, and we've already considered it. The guy who comes home from the pig farm and they have barbecue and a country band and a new ring and new clothes. That's people of God. The party. I, have some, I was thinking about that when I was driving here. I have some friends. Our, some of our best friends. He's a dentist. His name's Jim and she's Marcia. And uh, Jim's a dentist, and he was in dental school, and they were driving down from Tallahassee back to Miami, and they were really hungry, and they couldn't find any place to stop and eat, so they saw this dive by the side of the road. It looked like a biker bar, but they were really hungry, so they went in, got a table in the corner, and ordered hamburgers and Cokes. And when they were about halfway through their meal, <laughs> This guy that came in was six foot eight. He had tattoos on his ears and everywhere else. And he was mean and everybody got quiet. 
and he walked around intimidating people and went over to my friend's table, just noticed them. And he slammed his fist down on the table and said, who are you with? And Jim, without blinking an eye, said, I'm with you. <laughs> Listen, guys, we're, we're with the man. He owns everything. And as so many have said, and I've heard Tullian say so often, everything you need is yours. He's already given it to you. So you don't have to watch your words. You don't have to watch your actions. You don't have to pretend anymore. So party and laugh and laugh and laugh. I've had a little bit of sadness uh, at this conference. Three weeks ago, I got the call that one of my closest friends drank himself to death. His name is Tom, and I've known Tom for 35 years. One of the most brilliant, gifted men I've ever known when he was sober, and he wasn't sober much. He went to Los Angeles, was at the top of his field, and then he got drunk and hurt somebody and they fired him. And he... I don't know how he died. I, I don't know the family, I just know him. And nobody will answer the phone and I don't think I'm gonna call anymore because I don't wanna know. I'm afraid, I'm afraid he committed suicide. I hope he just drank himself to death. That's not good, but that would be better. You know what he did last Thanksgiving? He was at a family gathering and he wanted to drink so bad he drank the hand sanitizer so he could, so he could get high. We, uh, we wrote each other at least two or three times a week. And uh, he got grace. We said, well, it didn't show. No, I didn't, but he did. He'd write and say, Steve, tell me about Jesus. And I would. I remember when he was sober for two. Yeah, when we met, I said, you know, I like you, Tom, a lot. And he said, if you knew me, you wouldn't. And I said, well, I'm going to set aside a couple hours on a Saturday morning, and I'm going to be your priest. And I want you to come and confess and tell me why I won't like you. And he said, like hell. And I said, well, I'll be there. And he showed. And for two hours, he just poured out some of the darkest. And I loved him so much. And I told him while he cried. That's 35 years ago. He didn't get any better. But he'd write. We'd talk about grace. And he would say, I know that's true because it's all I've got. And then he died. And I don't know how he died. 
But I tell you what I know. However it was, Jesus came and said, Tom, it's been so hard. You come on home. And if you, if you listen to what you've been taught this weekend, you know why. You think about that. Now go home. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to help Key Life share the message of God's grace, please pray for us and please consider giving. Just click the main menu button in the upper left corner, then click donate or visit us at keylife.org give.